Well, you've really hurt my feelings. Um, we never have had so many phone calls about uh, what was going on on Wednesday night as we've had today, uh, only to discover that um, <clears throat> he wasn't speaking, that his wife was. So um, uh, I, I won't take much of your time or much of hers, but um, I, I, just a couple of things. You've got to know that um, we are very grateful for the uh, opportunity that you gave us. Um, we, um, we know, I mean, very honestly, if you haven't figured this out, um, let me be the first to inform you. Nobody cut off my paychecks while we were gone for 12 weeks. I mean, you, um, you permitted us to go because you funded it, in, in essence. Uh, we, were, we never missed a paycheck while we were away for 12 weeks, and, and we don't take that uh, lightly nor do we take it for granted. It was, um, it was a privilege to go. It was, um, as you'll hear in the next few weeks, it was, it was not what we uh, had anticipated in, in about 5,000 ways. And uh, we are, um, we are uh, impacted people from it. And what I'm going to try to do in the next few weeks, uh, in my time, in the, in the uh, six weeks from tonight, is uh, the six weeks from tonight, is try to uh, take you to some spiritual lessons that, uh, that became ours, or at least more confirmed in us, uh, and at the same time weave in uh, all of the stories that, we, um, that, have, that are meaningful to us. But uh, one of the things that you must know is that uh, this trip was a real temptation. Uh, well, it was a real trial, I, I, I think is the right word, to our marriage. Um, if you don't have a good marriage, don't do this. Um, we were thrown together uh, for 24 hours all day, every day, with nothing really. And, and as some of you know, uh, our emails were that we had uh, we were used 30 minutes a week, which was really one of the frustrations um, of being there. So it was um, it was a it, it could have been it could have been much harder. Um, but by God's kindness, it wasn't. So you'll hear all of it as it unfolds. We understand that in about uh, uh, 10 days, you'll lose your interest in this, and, but we'll try not to bore you. But I thought uh, the person that would be the most or the least boring would be to hear from my wife. So here she is. I'll hold it. <laughs> Just stick it on there. It'll be You better be nice. I'm thinking about starting my own church. There's a song from Sound of Music that goes... Um, Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. And uh, unfortunately, my beginning was not a very good place to start. Um, we traveled for about, I don't know, maybe 36 hours. I had, we had not slept for 36 hours. And we were met uh, at the airport. And there were three couples that... Um, were responsible for us when we first got off the plane and they took us to this home where we would stay and it was a very nice house. And we had been there 
10 minutes. They were trying to show us how to use the dishwasher, how to um, do the radiators, and all these things that were so foreign, and we were so tired. And the phone rang. And um, I picked up the phone, and it was Gracie. And she said, uh, we're okay, but um, Megan's here. Now, that means Megan flew from D.C. Megan's here. Uh, Emily's very sad. And so I thought, well, how sad? <laughs> and um, <laughs> turns out she was, I knew she was getting sad when we left. And I just, I remember laughing, thinking, Em, get hold of yourself. I'm the one that has to go. You get to stay here. <laughs> and I just didn't calculate how hard it was going to be on her. And um, and I remember putting the phone um, down, and Jimmy looked at me, and he said, you're leaving, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, no, but um, I mean, you should know that when I die, and y'all are all kind of milling around, and you should say, that's a shame. She really wasn't scheduled to die. Because that phone call in Budapest took about two years off of her life. So anyway, I was, I was so undone. And um, but then and then I stayed up because y'all are seven hours earlier, and so I couldn't go to bed until they went to bed the second time to make sure everybody was okay. So by Sunday I was beginning to feel well. It's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And um, I get another phone call. And um, at this point, anyone that called us at this point had to be from our family. So I just when the phone rang, I was just yes. Emily said, Mom, I've got a little bad news. I was like, what? She said, Megan fell through the attic. And I said, her whole self? She said, no, just one leg is in the hall. And um, she said, the other leg is straight up. What happened was, since Megan was there, um, and she hadn't brought much luggage, she thought, well, I'll take some of my wedding presents home. And she fell through our attic. And I said, well, Em, call Eric Tucker and don't tell your daddy. <laughs> so that was the very beginning of, um, of our um, experience. But I'm always going to tell you this horrible thing that happened. Well, I'm going to tell you this wonderful thing that happened out of that. Um, one of the couples that um, was showing our home, actually the person who, whose job was it to get the home for us, her name is Diane Parker, and for 30 years they have been um, on the field in Europe with Campus Crusade. And she called me because she saw the blood drain from my face when I said, uh-huh, when I first picked up the telephone when we were there. And um, she called me the next day, and we became intimate, sweet friends in about five minutes. And she continued to be my dear friend for three months. And um, I walked away from that phone call and from that experience, those first 48 hours, thinking, you know, God is for me. The devil is against me. And that was my first taste of being there. Um, I hate that this is taped because um, I wouldn't want my mother to hear me say this. So if you know my mother, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't tell her I said this. Um, my mother came to um, Budapest. And it was what I termed a glorious mistake. 
And the, the glorious part was that my precious 83-year-old mother would come, that she has um, post-herpetic neuralgia, which is shingles at the worst, which never goes away. She is in horrible pain. And, um, but she is such a trooper. Um, she came. And, and I just loved being able to do this for her and with her. The, the hard part was that she was in such pain and that ice was everywhere the whole time she was there. And um, I just, I was exhausted worrying that she was going to take a terrible fall and, um, and that I would be responsible. But anyway, um, one of her desires was to go to um, Vienna. And so the week before she came, Jimmy took me to Vienna, and we wrote down every single thing that would happen. This train, this gate, this hotel, um, this subway, this ticket, everything. I had it all written down. And so the week that my mom was there, we were going to leave on the end of that week, Jimmy was getting more and more nervous about us going. And he really didn't want us to go. And um, so... I, I just, I just had to take her, and um, anyway, we're, we go to Vienna. Everything is absolutely flawless the whole time we're there, and um, and my mom kept saying, I don't know why he worried about you. I mean, you know exactly what to do, <laughs> and uh, and I did, and I I said, but I kept saying, Mom, you don't understand. If we do not get off of this train in Budapest. He will have a literal heart attack. And then he will call the embassy looking for me, the American embassy. And um, so that was on my mind the whole time we were there. I cannot mess this up and not get off the train where Jimmy will be waiting for us. When we were in Vienna leaving, I kept looking up at the train. And there's nobody in Europe, when you get on trains, there's nobody saying, okay, everybody, we're going to go to Budapest. Or (laughs) no one is interested if anybody knows. And so um, I'm looking up on the marquee, and there are two trains going to Vienna. I mean, I'm sorry, there are two trains going to Budapest. One that leaves at 3.15, one that leaves at 3.20. I kept thinking, that is the weirdest thing. Why would there be two trains going to Budapest five minutes apart? And I kept going down to the international booth and showing them my ticket, making sure I'm on the right train. And my mother is questioning, am I sure I have it right? And I'm like, yes. And so anyway, we get on the train. I'm asking everybody around me, are we going to Budapest? Yes, we are. So at about the time we're supposed to arrive in Budapest, I'm asking everybody, are we in Budapest? Is this stop Budapest? Is the next stop Budapest? And they were like, yes, yes. So the train stops, and as I get my mother off the train, and as soon as my feet hit the concrete, I realized I'm at the wrong train station. And the train only stopped for 60 seconds, so we didn't have a chance to get back on. And I don't know if I can convey to you how I was... I was almost blind with panic. I didn't have any way to get in touch with Jimmy. Even if I I had euros, I didn't have the right currency. I didn't know how to use a telephone. It wasn't lighted. There were only about five people around there, and only two of them were young. And in Hungary, 
not very many people speak English, and if you're going to have a chance, it's going to be with somebody young. And it was one guy was on on his cell phone, and there was one lone girl sitting there. And I just looked at her and said, the train station was Daily Station. I said, this is not Daily Station. And she didn't respond. And I said, Budapest. And she still didn't respond. And finally she shook her head and she said, no English. And um, anyway, I kind of, in this panic, just kind of walked around in a circle with my mother trailing behind me. (laughs) And I went up to her again. And I cannot tell you how hard I was crying out to God. And I said, daily station. And her eyes looked locked in on my eyes. And I promise you, it was as if God's Spirit pulled out of her these words. Next train, four minutes. And I thought, maybe so. There was a train in Vienna going to Budapest that was five minutes behind me. But I had no idea if it was going to stop at the right station. Every time Jimmy and I got lost, we thought, who knows, we're going to end up in Romania. And I thought, if I get on this train, I could end up in Romania. So anyway, I grabbed my mother. I said, when this train stops, we are jumping on that train. And we had too much luggage, and she was so tired, and she was hurting so badly that when the train stopped, I just threw our bags in, grabbed her, got on the train, and ran around the train with my Euros going like this, telephone, telephone, hoping that somebody had a cell phone and I could give them Jimmy's number and they would call him and tell him that we were coming. No one had a telephone. Anyway, the train stops at the right station, and I'm standing. We never even, we just stood in that couplet between the two cars, and I look. It, uh, the door opened, and I saw Jimmy on the tracks about four tracks over, and I just screamed out, Babe! <laughs> and he screamed back at me, How did I mess this up? <laughs> I thought, Well, I could go with that. <laughs> but I didn't. Um, I was reading in the... Um, in the Psalms while I was gone, and here are some verses that, um, this is from Psalm 18:6. But in my distress, I cried out to God. Yes, I prayed for my God to help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. And then the next verse, uh, this is Psalm 22:22. 22, 22. Then I will declare the wonder of your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among all people. When Jimmy asked me if I would do this on the plane coming home, I said, no, we'll not do this. And then, you know, I, I remembered in Budapest, every time we had dinner with somebody, I would say, you've got to listen to this story. And it was one of those, I'm sure you had to be there. I'm sure it doesn't, it, I'm not telling you how wonderful it was for that girl to be able to tell me to get on that train. But... Um, I told the Lord then that I will never tire of telling how kind you were to me. It wouldn't have been the disaster of my life, but it would have made... We were already kind of fragile at that point, and to be lost for six or eight hours, how long it would have taken me to figure out where I was and how to get where I needed to be, just would have just been something we didn't need. And God was so gracious.
um, one of the things that I began to experience, and Jimmy did too, was that we were, in a way that we've never experienced, we sensed the Lord hearing your prayers. And um, I emailed, maybe in a goulash, that um, whoever was praying for me on uh, February the 19th, I think it was, at uh, 11.30 your time, which was 6.30 my time, um, and then I told the story. And Patty Stuber um, emailed me back and said she was praying. And I, I just cannot tell you what it meant to, to know that you were serious about what you said and that God was honoring that. And um, anyway, um, I think a turning point in um, this whole experience for me was a, um, a dessert that I was invited to. And um, this was the invitation. And it says, banish those Budapest blues. And there were only one, two, three, four, five, six people invited. And I was one of them. And um, this girl who had this dessert in her home was um, a Campus Crusade um, girl whose husband had been successful corporately and um, had sensed God's call to missions. And, um, and they had left their lo- lovely life in Atlanta with their five little children and come to Budapest. And the girls that were invited were people that had not been on the field very long. And, um, and I think, quite frankly, we're all really struggling. And so part of the thing that you were supposed to do is bring something or an idea that you, that you like about being here. So what this girl was doing was making an occasion for us to encourage one another. And of course, I was kind of the pretend missionary. I had my ticket out of there. And um, these girls were there for their lives. And this is where their kids were going to have strep and get tubes put in their ears. And um, this is where they were going to have to make their life. And I came away from there so sad. Um, I mean, I was sad. I guess I should be, I guess maybe convicted that I felt like I was their mother. And um, it was it was a conviction to see them hurting and homesick and lonely and disoriented. And yet they were going to do whatever it took to make it work because God had called them. And um, the reason it was a turning point is because here they were in a culture where um, the Hungarian language is very, very difficult and not very many people try to learn it. A lot of them, Budapest is a missionary hub. So a lot of times missionaries are there not for working with Hungarian people, but for support ministries, etc. And their husbands travel a lot. And the reason it was a turning point is because church was so important to them. This is where they got their 
This was an English-speaking experience. This was an English-speaking experience for their children. This is where they could relate with other people. Um, and I, Jimmy used my illustration Sunday, but for me, being in Budapest was kind of like being in the funhouse at the fair. The floors are a little tilted. The mirrors are distorted. You're either very tall and thin or very, I mean, everything is a little off. And for them, church is where it kind of got right. And so I came back, and I, I really had a sense of, well, God has us here for a reason. Um, and it wasn't then just a 30-minute ditty. It turned out to be something um, so much more meaningful. Um, my other, um, this was um, my purse that I had in uh, Budapest. And originally it had two straps. And when we were coming back from uh, Prague, we looked like, I've never seen European vacation, but I'm assuming it's like Christmas vacation, and we looked like European tourists. And I had, I had this, I had a bag on top of this, I, had, I was just covered in luggage and um, walked up to the train, and this 35-ish year old guy is standing right there in this narrow place, and he said, well, let me help you. And I said, oh, thank you, and give him my bag. And on this train, the aisle is very narrow, and so um, he's leading with my bag. I'm next to him, and surprisingly enough, here come two other men that um, are here beside me, and then Jimmy's just getting on the train. Well, they assumed, I guess I was by myself. And so um, everybody was getting so squished in, and my purse... <laughs> started to tug and so I'm so apologetic to these men because I think that I'm holding up the show because my purse is caught on the um, <laughs> on the handle there and um, anyway I just kind of felt like something wasn't right and I looked at Jimmy and he looked at me and then the three guys figured that we were together and um, and then as you read the goulash they go for Jimmy's wallet he presses up against the uh, the back of the train and they leave and I still kind of thought, well, you know, maybe I was, you know, such an idiot. I was making everybody all squished up or something. And so we get in our little compartment, and uh, we were thinking, what just happened to us? And I looked down, and my purse is um, unzipped. And um, Jimmy said, well, what's wrong with a strap? And I thought, you know, my strap had fallen down. And so that he thought that that was the strap of my purse. So when he cut it and then pulled it, it didn't come off of me because my other strap was underneath my luggage. I mean, the luggage I had on my shoulder. And there Jimmy's wallet was, you know, just right exposed in the back pocket where it should never have been, and they didn't get that. And, you know, it's just another example of God being for us and, and your prayers being uh, effective. The last thing I want to tell you about is when we went to Krakow, and... Um, some of you know that the Women's Bible Study wrote me a note for every day that I was there. And in the beginning, that humongous stack was really not that encouraging to me. The individual notes were, but I kept thinking, I'll never go home. If that's a representation of how many days I'm going to be here, it's never going to be over. On the day we went to Krakow, I didn't want to go. And um, I... Um, I was thinking this is just a long run for a short slot. It was six or eight hours. We were thinking it was six hours. It turned out to be nine. Um, 
But as I did every morning, I read my note, and this is from Elena Cadle, and she writes, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And whenever I read a note, I always tried to visualize that person, and I would begin to pray for the person that wrote me that day. And um, I, of course, I'm always praying for you at 1 o'clock in the morning because I'm usually open these at, at eight, 8 o'clock in the morning, and so it's 1 o'clock your time. So if you have little children, I always pray that your children were sleeping and that you were getting a good night's rest and all that. And then as the day progressed, I would pray different things for you. When I was thinking of Elena, I thought, I mean, what do I know about her? I know she's in the choir. I know her husband's in the band, I mean, the orchestra. And um, so I just, I thought, that's interesting. I know, a, I know a choir anthem that is to those words. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And so all day long, subconsciously, I'm singing this little anthem, thinking, I wonder if, Elena knows that anthem. I wonder if um, Grace has ever sung that. And when I was in the choir in Ocala, we sang that and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm in the back of this little tiny car folded three times um, on the way to Prague on the icy roads that took nine hours. And I'm still singing this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Well, it was just such a horrendous trip. And we get there, it's still snowing. Um, and I'm just, I'm just tired of it all. I'm tired of being gone. This is, you know, the week before we came home. Um, this meant three days we would not be in touch with anyone. It was just too hard to find a internet cafe. Um, anyway, we went to bed that night in this um, hotel, and um, I had just held my tears all day. And um, I knew that Jimmy wasn't sleeping because he was tossing, turning, and and we were next to a disco, and you couldn't hear the words, but you could hear the bass. And I thought, he's not going to sleep all night. And um, anyway, I just put my face in my pillow and just sobbed. And then from within me, the, the song that I had been singing all day long, Cast Your Burden on the Lord, and He Will Sustain Me. And that was the first time that day that I thought about what I was singing. And I thought, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. This is at the point where I just felt like I am out of gas. And, um, and that was just another personal experience that God was for me, that um, his word was um, personally for me for that moment, and that before the beginning of time. She wrote it in January, but God had planned it that I would be comforted by that, um, that portion of his word. Um, some of the things, just quickly, I, I, don't, I know that it was a privileged experience. So if you kind of walk away and think, oh gosh, she was such a whiner. I hope you won't think that. Um, I'm just sorry that this wonderful experience, this adventure, was wasted on somebody like me because I don't really like adventure. But I was able to step back from it and, and realize what a privileged person I am to be able to do what we did. Um, one of the things that I came away with is 
that I don't know as much as I think I know. Um, to illustrate that, we sat across a table with um, um, a missionary and a, um, a professor of a um, university in Romania. Romania. I think the university in Romania. He's a gypsy, which on the social scale there would, would not be very high. Um, he's a Greek Orthodox priest and a professor of um, ethics. I was, I was so amazed at all he knew, his <coughs> precious, sweet love of God. And, you know, none of those categories, you know, you think you know what Greek Orthodox priests are like. Um, you think you know what Awana is. You think you know who Campus Crusade people are. Um, I was just exposed to a broad range of people who really loved Jesus, and they weren't in my little box. And that was um, uh, a, um, a rebuke to me. Um, I'm sorry that I was the first one to speak because I really don't know what it was all about at this point. I know some of the things that it was about. Um, when we came to the church, Danube International Church, um, that first Sunday, they just assumed I'd like to say something. And so I got up again and said, um, well, actually, I really don't know why I'm here. And um, and at, and now I'm at the end saying, I really don't know what that was all about. Uh, I think I know a little bit what it was about. But I think in months and years to come, we'll just see what it was really about. So um, as a person who was the recipient of your faithful prayers and your undeserved love, I cannot thank you enough. Just quickly, and then we'll. Uh, Susie mentioned that the turning point was that little um, meeting that she had with the five women, and and um, it was a it was a Monday night. It was dreary. It was it was spitting ice, and these people lived on the top of a hill, and uh, there was a one-way road getting to it, and. And I don't know what happens if two people get on this, going opposite directions on this street, and it was hard to find, and 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 it was just made me mad that, uh, and you know, we're going up there, uh, trying to drop her off, and and this man waves us down in the street and stops us and wants to get in the car with us, and and um, and finally we just said, Anglo, and rolled up the window and moved on, and and um, it was. And so I, and then you had to go up this huge hill, these canyons on both sides, and and really they they still wouldn't have found me if uh, if we'd have gone off the road. And so I'm taking her up there, and and she's saying, okay, we'll be back at quarter to ten or where it was. I said, all right, I'll be back at quarter to ten. And um, um, so then I had to go back up that blasted road and get her, and and then. Um, you know, she comes out and gets in the car, and we make it home, and I'm just 
angry that I had to get on these roads and I was scared to drive the whole time. You know, they, you have to have all these papers and if you don't have your papers, they, you know, they, they put you in Siberia or it, it, they love to humiliate, or at least they love to humiliate this American. Um, and, and it was just all, everything was tense. Now, maybe it's because we're tense people. I, I don't know, but everything was just tense. And so, um, our grace group had given us a, a, um, a leather um, journal that we were to keep. And so we finally got home, and, and I'm down at the table. Uh, it's pretty late at night, at least for me, and I'm journaling and trying to write all this down. And Susie comes into the kitchen and, um, and, and is just bawling. And um, she is bawling because of what she just told you about these girls who were who were committed to make it work and um and it's not much we could do about it and and i'm trying to figure out what i can do for my wife and ultimately just said baby there's nothing i can do for you either i can't help them i can't help you but in all honesty that was the turning point because if it was a turning point for my wife that meant it was a turning point for me um because there was a sense that um, those people needed what we brought. And it wasn't that we brought anything spectacular, ladies and gentlemen, but um, I will say preaching to this bunch was as fun as anything that I've ever done as a preacher because they were a bunch of dry sponges and I, was, I had a fire hose. And um, th- they were eager to have somebody tell them that God was good. And now, not, not all of them. I mean, some of them had been there 28 years and 30 years, and, you know, they, they had kind of settled in. But this little bunch that Susie met with, they were all just hanging on by their, their, their fingernails. And to think that we could give them a place for at least 12 weeks that they could walk in and they could breathe deeply and be reminded of why they came. Um, and that was enough for us. That was enough for us to make some sense out of why we had left a fruitful ministry and gone to over there for 30 minutes a week. We could not get over that. And maybe we, you, you read that. And there were, there were many times where we said, this is silly. This is stupid. Why did I leave that to come over here for 30 minutes? And that night, we got a glimpse of what we could contribute to the lives of these dear people. Um, I, I know that y'all have a certain level of expectation as to what this has done in our lives. I want to say something what I, which I think is somewhat brazen. It's not arrogant, but it might be brazen. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Because I'm telling you, there is a lot to say you know, we don't have enough time tonight to say it, but there is a lot of impact that this has made on my wife and myself. I don't want to ever do it again. And um, you know, people have—I had a—I had a—I didn't tell you this. I'm sorry. Um, I had somebody. I had the, uh, an, a, somebody from the Commercial Appeal called me and asked uh, me to tell. Yeah, yeah. I knew you'd. Uh, I get in trouble talking to commercial appeal. And, but anyway, one of the things that she said was, one of the questions, she said, would you go back? 
Well, I have five invitations right now to return. Um, and, and I told her, no, I wouldn't go back for 12 weeks. Um, and, you know, who knows? I have something to tell you about that, and it'll be next week, uh, concerning um, basically risk and danger. And that's what we'll talk about next week. But um, I would go back. I would go back. Um, I hope I don't have to go back for 12 weeks, but um, I would go back and um, hope to, to go back and hope that some of you are with me when I go uh, because there is some precious people and precious stories over there. All I'm saying to you is um, we can never do things exactly the way that we've been doing them. And um, I have a million challenges for you. Make it two million. There is a, I, I, I can only say, and I don't mean, I hope you understand this in, the, in the, the pastoral heart from which it comes. The standards have gone up. The challenge has gotten bigger. And I can't wait to share some of that with you. We'll start next week. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do uh, thank you for the privilege that we have uh, had to do what we've done. I thank you that you brought it to a conclusion and that we can be back among the people that we love doing the things that we love. But Lord, um, don't ever let us, don't ever let us uh, return to the days of, um, of pre-Budapest. Um, not that we are uh, in some kind of spiritual um, ozone layer now, Lord, uh, but we, all, we do want to do better. We want to do everything that we do better. And I want, uh, by your grace, to lead our church to do everything that we do better. And I pray that you will um, permit that, that you will prepare people for that, and that you will use Gracie Van in a way that she's never been used before to um, bring about and to fulfill the Great Commission. Father, um, there, is, there is a large task in front of us, and there is no way to perform it in the skills and the uh, aptitudes that are present in this room. But once those skills and aptitudes are... Uh, dominated by your spirit, there is no end to what we can accomplish. So, Father, that is my, my prayer, that we will um, accomplish great things for a great God. We thank you for the privilege of being called to such a high and holy task. We um, make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thank you and good night. Hope to see you uh, again real soon.